So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Previously on The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, blood patterns reveal the horror of Brenda's attack. For at least some of this assault, the deceased was sat upright. Brenda's killer may not have been covered in blood. Perhaps contrary to what one might think intuitively, in general, the blood is projected away from the assailant. And the defence desperate to explain the presence of Kit's sperm. Forget about your testing for the moment. Would the result look the same, whether it was background sperm or not? It's taken 45 years to bring a killer to court. And for the first time in UK history, you'll hear the full murder trial and witness justice being done. It was a brutal murder of a brilliant woman who was a rising star in genetic research. It would now be almost like a script from Morse. The investigators swarming over the, the dreaming spires of university land. There was kind of palpable feeling of evil in the air. I was told it was just a massive blood in here. Two decades on from confronting evil. So did you kill your ex-wife Brenda Page? Evil is being confronted by the law. Did you kill her? No. She knew it was coming. He said he was going to kill her. If he killed her, he would do it so that nobody would know. Will his true nature be unmasked? Are you familiar with the tale of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And can Brenda's own words help secure her killer's fate? A letter of a death foretold. This is the storyteller, Naked Villainy, written, produced and edited by me, Isla Traquair. The Anatomy of Sperm, DNA blood. This has been a deep dive into the science of solving a murder. And as we listened intently, the fact did not escape us that this was part of Brenda's expertise. She'd have been looking through her microscope for very different reasons at the same things. Her next door neighbour, Dr James Douglas, who you heard from earlier in the series and who identified her body, was working on a study with Brenda, which involved divers in the oil industry and the potential link to birth defects and pregnancy complications among these men. He was most acutely aware of the connection of their work and the science being heard in court. He also told me what it was like to come face to face with the man accused of killing his friend and colleague after 45 years, and a chilling encounter with him a short time before the murder. You worked together, she was a geneticist, and this actually has a key part in this court case. Absolutely. Well, genetics uh, has moved on considerably. Um, by coincidence, um, I'm, in my work as a general practitioner in Fort William, I'm also a forensic medical examiner, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with, with court proceedings and, and investigation of, of uh, allegations. 
and some of the technicalities that have been discussed today uh, in, the, uh, in the evidence. And um, one of the things that's clearly moved on is the whole basis of genetic uh, recovery and, and, and looking at DNA. And the irony of, the big irony of today um, is that that was really what Brenda Page's research was all about and what we were looking at were chromosomes and divers in our, our joint research project. And it's really ironic that 45 years later um, that Brenda's very early work in this field has now uh, come to the fore and is um, having a crucial role to play in the evidence that we're hearing today. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you, and I was watching you, when Christopher Harrison came in, and you've not seen him for a long time, no. 45 years. I've not seen him for 45 years. How did that feel? It was interesting. Uh, well, I, I, I wondered if the court, if I was going to be a witness, I wondered if the court were going to say, do you recognise the accused? And I would have had to have said the honest opinion would have been, well, perhaps, but not conclusively. Um, so I was interested just in that tactical aspect about could I recall the face from 45 years ago, uh, who I met very briefly 45 years ago. Um, but my recall of my meeting with him is still, um, still very sharp. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Well, that occurred, and there was an episode um, just out two weeks before, the, around about two weeks before the murder, where I was repairing my car um, outside Allen Street. Um, I can remember the, the, the type of car. It was a, a red Renault 4. The number plate was DOS 49. And part of the thing that you had to do in those days with, with older cars was you had to service the brakes and adjust the brakes every, every three months or so. So I was doing that task and I had the car up on a jack um, and I was sitting cross-legged in front of the car. Uh, it was a sunny day in June and uh, quite a warm day at a weekend. And um, I had the brakes, the, the wheel off of the car and I had the brake in bits, um, well, I had taking, taking the brake drum off. And I was concentrating on doing this and I was a little bit worried about the car falling off the jack and falling on top of me, etc. Mm. So I was really concentrating on this whole procedure that I was doing. And um, I was just conscious out of my left hand side um, that this figure coming towards me and then stooping down to speak to me and he looked down at me and said, are you Dr. Jim Douglas? And I looked up and said, uh, yes. And then obviously I had to get up to meet, my, meet him and, and meet him at eye level. So I can remember standing up and being conscious that my hands were full of rust and grubbiness. Um, and I stood up and there was an inclination. I thought, well, I, my hands are completely covered with rust. I better not shake. I was, I was going to shake his hand but I didn't shake his hand because my hands were full of rust. But in that moment when I looked at where his hands were going to meet my hands, I saw his hands and he had gloves on, he had, he had black leather gloves on. I can remember also that it was, he was dressed in sort of the traditional academic uniform of the time, which was like a, a, a tweed jacket, a grey tweed, ja tweed jacket, a white shirt and some sort of dark tie. We had a very brief interchange at that stage. Um, I knew that Brenda was not keen on him and that he wasn't supposed to be there. So there was kind of really two, two things going around in my head. I don't really want to speak to him because he's not supposed to be here and my car was about to fall off the jack and I was in the middle of doing something. So the, the encounter was very, very brief. I, I couldn't give you a number of seconds, but so maybe only about a minute. Black gloves in July, that yes. gave me shivers. Yes. And um, my wife, my young wife at the time, um, 
Christine. Um, we, we, we'd only been married a year at that stage and we were in the flat next door and uh, Christine had been watching me outside the window um, and had seen me and, and had seen the encounter and um, after he'd, he'd, he'd left and she, uh, she came up to me and said was, was that who I think it is and I sort of said yes it's, it's, it's Harrison so she Christine got a visualization of, of Harrison and um, the next time that she saw him was when he I wasn't in the flat at the time uh, about a week later uh, he came round to the the door of, of our flat and knocked on the door and again he was wearing gloves and spoke to Christine just by herself and um, he asked her if she was interested in, 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 in having a kitten. Um, fortunately she said thanks but no thanks. Um, but again I felt that that's all we both felt that was very strange behaviour and uh, Christine was very worried about this. As I've already mentioned, Dr Douglas was on the witness list, but wasn't called to give evidence. So the tale of this strange encounter was not heard by the jury. So bear that in mind as we rejoin the cross-examination of forensic expert Christopher Gannicliffe. The ladies and gentlemen have heard evidence about how material was gathered at the scene. And the sort of, I suppose, what would now be called maybe the scenes of crime work that was done at that particular time. You, you've already pointed out something which uh, I, I want your opinion on it really rather than mine, but something that might be considered to be perhaps not particularly good work in the sense that you have a, a sheet on the bed which somehow or other appears to have been moved. And I, I think it's not clear to you necessarily whether that was moved as a result of the incident or whether that was removed in the course of the recovery of items. It's clear from the photographs that it wasn't in that orientation when the deceased was found. So that sheet has moved back, as you saw in that photograph, and the corner was pulled back. That has happened sometime during the crime scene examination. It seemed, matter for the ladies and gentlemen, but it seemed perhaps as if quite a lot of the sheet had come away from the, the wall, not just in the corner. Yes, it looks like the whole sort of upper right quarter is being pulled back. And am I right in saying that on the bed itself, or on the, I'm not sure if it's the bed or the underside of the sheet, there was a, a mark in blood? That's right, it's an impression, so, that's, so there's an object that has been wet with blood and has pressed against it. Uh, you can see a vague outline, a shape, we've tried a variety of chemical techniques to enhance that, but with no great success. And the, the vague outline or shape that you talked about, what sort of shape are we, are we considering here? I, I described it as having some linear aspects and some, some circular elements, so it's not a characteristic shape that you would say immediately it is this object or that object. You can't quite identify what it might be. The fact that you found, I think, as a blood stain, effectively, is that indicative of the item, whatever it may have been, having had wet blood on it? So an object wet with blood but is then pressed against that aspect of the sheet. Right. And... When you talk about that aspect of the sheet, which, which aspect of the sheet is it? It's the under aspect, so it wouldn't be exposed normally once the sheet was in place. So, 
if, if you're right, and I've no doubt that you are, when the crime scene was initially visited, the sheet appears to have been in its proper orientation, tucked in, in the corner. Somehow or other, that has become untucked in the course of the scene of crime, uh, removal of the body or whatever it may have been, and then something has been put on top of that? Well, the only alternative is it happened during the incident and the assailants then put the sheet back into place. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. How's your new year started off? Have you been pressurising yourself with resolutions? Well, bear with me while I tell you about BetterHelp. This is an advertisement, but it's a service that I really believe in. If there's a good place to start with improving your life, then it's your mental health. Examine what's going well in addition to what you'd like to improve. As you know, I'm a huge advocate of therapy and it's something I'm vocal about using in my own life. And I can tell you it's a really easy to use service to find the right therapist for you and you get to choose when and how you have your sessions. Some people prefer a video call, others just an audio call, and you can even do it by text if you need to ease in gently. So take charge of your life and give yourself the best chance to make all the other improvements by getting yourself in the right mindset. I don't need to tell you the benefits of therapy if you've gone through something really difficult, be it losing a loved one, poor health, or some of the topics covered in this trial but it's also good for just taking stock of where you're at and how you'd like your year to go with the support and guidance from one of the thousand therapists available through BetterHelp in the UK. It's so easy to sign up and you don't need a referral and with a special code just for you listeners, you'll receive 10% off the first month. So just go to betterhelp.com storyteller. That's betterhelp.com storyteller. We'll come back to the evidence in just a moment, but first, how does yellow tie-style peanut veg noodles sound? Well, I made it earlier, and it was so tasty, and my mum agreed. The exact ingredients were delivered to my door by sponsor HelloFresh. I've been trying out their meals for the last few weeks, and I am sold. This week, I've also had cheesy crusted sea bass, Caribbean-style chicken and pepper, and creamy tomato Cajun chicken. So every week, I choose my menu, and you can pick what is suited to your dietary needs. And I'm totally inspired because there's such a huge choice and an ever-changing menu. It's really reignited my love of cooking, and I'm trying out new, exciting recipes and daring to be a bit different. Part of my biggest problem when I go to the shops is knowing what to buy, and I just don't have the time or the energy to go through my cookbooks and make sure I've got everything on the ingredients list. So that's why it's such a delight to just pick my meals and each meal is already measured out so I just do the fun bit, the cooking and the eating. It's made my life so much easier and I get excited knowing that I've got something tasty ready to be prepared. 
So each bag is numbered and you get the corresponding recipe sheet or you can use the app. It's idiot proof, so you cannot go wrong. And after a long day at work, this is the best option for me to not only eat well, but make good choices. It's convenient and flexible. So if you're going away, you can just put the next week on hold and pick a future date. And I'd love for you guys to experience some of the deliciousness for yourselves. So I have a special offer just for you listeners, where you'll receive 60% off your first order and 25% off the next two months. So what have you got to lose? Give it a try by heading to hellofresh.co.uk slash villainy. That's V-I-L-L-A-I-N-Y. That's hellofresh.co.uk slash villainy. Give it a try, you won't regret it. Now let's get back to the evidence. With the two options being either the stain was created during the removal of the sheet by police officers or the killer laying something wet with blood on the sheet then tucking the sheet back in place, he was asked if he was ever shown an object to determine if that could have caused the stain. Mr Gannicliffe said he had not. They returned to his report and they established that what's labelled as the fitted sheet, which is a sheet that normally has elasticated corners, is in fact a flat sheet. In your description of that, you explain that because of what presumably can be seen in the photographs, you can work out how the sheet was on the bed at the time, is that correct? That's right. You go on to make a comment in relation to the image of the sheet in the photograph and how, in your view, some of the very dark staining visible on the sheet is not, in fact, blood. That's right. Its appearance in the photograph is quite different from its appearance in reality when you see it now. In what way? So when you see the photographs, there are big areas of black, opaque staining. Now, I say black, meaning it's a black and white photograph, so it's dark. Those big areas aren't immediately apparent when you examine it with a naked eye. Uh, so it looks quite different. So I had to spend a lot of time ensuring that it was absolutely the same sheet. As you might imagine in these sorts of reinvestigations, I want to be absolutely sure it's the same one. So I was able to satisfy myself with, with that by studying the bloodstain patterns. Uh, and on the basis, if, if it wasn't blood, what, what was it? Well, it's possible that it was some liquid, for example, like urine, that then might have wetted the sheet and as I understand it, based on the photography at the time, that might have resulted in a, an area appearing black in the black and white image, even though it wasn't blood staining. What I did find is that when I examined the sheet using specialist lighting, I was able to see the outlines of that apparent black staining, visible as tide lines. So the staining was certainly apparent. It just didn't look anything like what it did in the black and white photographs. All right. In connection with the recovery of items from a crime scene, cross-contamination is presumably something that people should be well aware of. Yes. And uh, we saw, I think, in the photographs that even the person who was mimicking the position of the, the body in the photographs was dressed up in a, a full forensic suit. 
Yes. Boots, gloves, hat, the lot. Indeed. And nowadays that's how it would be done. Yes. The ladies and gentlemen have heard evidence that there is at least a chance that the recovery of these items was done without even the person wearing gloves. Would that cause concern, certainly now, if somebody was trying to recover items in that way? It wouldn't surprise me that it happened at the time. It was quite routine, even up to the late 1980s, for gloves almost to be optional, if you like, simply because the potential for DNA profiling hadn't been envisaged. Yeah. So it, there wasn't a risk of contamination from uh, sweat, for example. There would be from finger marks and fingerprints, of course, so you would take precautions against that, but not of, for example, contamination by DNA, for example. Well, I suppose what there might be the possibility of contamination, certainly now, so far as you're concerned, looking at this in the, the modern era, era, is the transfer of material from one item to another. So transferring something, for argument's sake, sperm or acid phosphatase from an item to another item by hand. Well, it isn't possible to transfer acid phosphatase as a, as a stain, for example, because that's been applied as a liquid stain of semen. But you're right, the traces of sperm could certainly be inadvertently transferred. Uh, and you could potentially find sperm on something where there wasn't sperm before. Potentially, but you might imagine that that transfer would be very small and very isolated to a specific area, if you, if you imagine, rather than being a, a widespread distribution of transfer. Yeah. I, I suppose it depends how much care's taken in putting things into bags and what have you. Well, that's true, but then even in that era, one was still just as aware of uh, the risks of cross-contamination because particulate evidence such as fibres and paint and glass were still just as well known in that era and the precautions would be expected to be taken for that even if the potential for DNA profiling was never envisaged. And I suppose if you're saying it was commonplace perhaps for gloves to be optional whilst it might well have been known people maybe weren't taking the greatest of care in relation to it. Possibly, yes. Because if you're talking about hairs or fibres or anything of that nature, if you're picking items up one after another, you could easily be transferring the hairs or fibres from item A onto item B. Well, possibly, but then that fits into the category I'm describing, which is there was still an awareness of particulates being inadvertently cross-transferred, so precautions being required to prevent that. But what precautions would you take, though? Namely, that the way you handled things to avoid that you didn't simply handle one thing directly after the other. You didn't package them together. You didn't take them out together on the same laboratory bench, for example. Uh, I mean, certainly the scene of crimes or forensic scientist or whatever it was at the time seemed to indicate that the idea of changing gloves, for example, between handling items would be unheard of. That wouldn't surprise me for the reasons I'm, I'm describing about uh, DNA, for example, but that would be less of an issue with particulates because fibres or hairs, you'd be taking all, those, all that evidence from the same crime scene. So you might worry less in that era if you were picking up something from this side of the room and that side of the room because they were in the same room, where you would be far more conscious, I would suggest, 
if, if you were then later going to examine a vehicle or another address. He's then asked about the vaginal material that was examined and although in the early 2000s no sperm was found, Mr Gannicliffe re-examined the slides and did find sperm. Yes, so I researched the microscope slides that the scientist at the time had made and found a single sperm cell. Sorry, a single sperm? A single one sperm cell. Okay. You, you describe it as trace numbers of sperm. That's right. One is a trace number? It is. And... Is that something that was simply missed in 2002? Yes, I think so. You're, you're basically searching a microscope slide for perhaps an hour or two, scanning backwards and forwards, trying to find a single sperm cell amongst a lot of vaginal cells. It's for that reason that these days we have two people searching them, one after the other, and they have to be searched twice. In that era, that wasn't done. Right. Uh, and so that particular stain, stain one is a mainly vaginal material? Yes, I believe so. With, with a single sperm cell within it? Yes. Next, they move on to the three stains examined for sperm, which you've already heard two of them could be linked to Kit Harrison. So far as stain two is concerned, there was a, a partial profile obtained. That's right. And that partial profile matched, partially, I suppose, the profile of Dr Harrison. It matched those corresponding DNA types of yeah. his profile, yes. And although your report doesn't say so, your colleague has told us that the likelihood estimate for that was 28,000 times. That's how, that's how often you might expect to see that profile, yes. Yes. So 28,000 times in a population of, I don't know, 65 million or whatever, there would be a fairly significant number of people who would have the same components within their DNA profile. Indeed. There was also the cellular fraction... And that could be explained apparently by the presence of DNA from Brenda Page and Christopher Harrison. But I think your colleague told us that because I suppose he'd already got a semi-positive result in relation to the other matter, there was no statistical analysis carried out of that. Yes, I think that's just been carried out on the, the sperm fraction. Yes. yes. They stopped here due to time and adjourned for the night. But the following day, despite a heavy snowfall and everyone struggling to get to court on time, a jury member had suffered a medical issue, so the case could not continue, and we were sent home. This was a frustrating setback, especially being in the middle of a cross-examination. The next day, they began with the damage caused to the underside of the window, which Mr Gannicliffe had studied in the lab. So far as that damage is concerned, that would be consistent, I take it, with somebody having inserted some kind of object into the window in order to a attempt to prise it open. Multiple times, yes. I didn't catch that. Multiple times. Multiple times. And if one is carrying out that procedure, they, there is at least a prospect that whatever you're using in order to prise open the window, could
could itself have transferred onto it something from the window itself. Quite possibly. So if, if you're using a, a screwdriver or a chisel or some kind of implement to open the window, as you do so, you might pick up, if it's paint, you might pick up bits of paint onto the chisel or onto the screwdriver or bits of material of some sort. That's right. And that would be something that in due course somebody might seek to, to match. Yes, quite. It, in addition, am I right in saying that there were probably tapings, I take it, taken from the window itself in order to see whether or not there were any fibres attached to the window frame? There appeared to be two or three productions that we, or at least I, identified at the early stages, but were taken from that area. So, for example... On page 36, there is a bag marked rear window ledge, for example. So there are a couple of productions like that which appear to relate to that area, but they don't specifically say that they were taped from that edge of the window. All right. Oh, going back to page 30, do, does your report indicate that in the 2005 examinations, your understanding was samples had been taken from the the areas of damage that we have just discussed in a bid to retrieve traces of DNA That's right. from, from the person who, who may have forced the window open. Indeed. And it describes wet and dry swabs. I can't remember if it was you or your colleague. We, we discussed wet or dry swabs. It was, my, it was my colleague. I can happily reiterate if you need. But. All right. No, no, it's okay. It's just, I'm sure the ladies and gentlemen remember. But we discussed the idea of wet and dry swabs. Uh, and they would then be available to see whether or not anything could be recovered from them by way of DNA analysis. That's right. And in, on page 31, uh, do you quote from your colleague's report, Mr Gibbs' report, that uh, the swabs were analysed, basically with the exception of one of them, nothing was obtained, and the one from which something was obtained, there was no profile capable of being interpreted or being recovered. That's correct. The court heard remaining DNA samples were frozen, and when they were later tested, there were two samples which did show DNA what's described as extract 12, traces of DNA from at least three individuals unsuitable for comparison purposes. That's right. And 13 DNA from at least two individuals unsuitable for comparison purposes. Yes. Now, when DNA is detected, am I right in saying that whilst you might not be able to obtain a profile that you can use for comparison, it is sometimes possible to obtain enough information to allow you to establish that there's more than one person's DNA there. Yes. Mr Gannicliffe agreed that they didn't know how or when the DNA was deposited. There were some hairs found which turned out to be animal hairs and most likely from Brenda's cats if they used the window as an entry and exit point. They then moved on to the underwear recovered from a laundry basket, 
which in 1978 was believed to have a red-brown blood stain, but later testing proved it was not blood. Indeed, that 2002 examination does indeed identify the same red-brown staining that is described in 1978, but states that it isn't blood. So they seem to be talking about the same staining, but disagreeing as to whether it's blood. So, so it would appear, perhaps, that in 1978, somebody saw it and thought it was blood or believed it was blood. And in 2002, when presumably things have moved on and were perhaps more able to, to determine the situation, the same stain is found not to be blood at all. Yes, I don't know whether it was actually chemically tested in 1978 or it was simply an observation and an assumption that red-brown staining inside the pants must be blood, for example. Attempts were made to compare hair samples of Kit and Brenda with hair recovered from various places and there was no definitive cross-transfer. Nail scrapings and tapings from the nightdress also showed no obvious link to Kit Harrison. They then moved on to the watch strap found in the fire grate and went over the fact the blood type had not been established. Next, they discussed the blood smearing, which they agreed was likely deposited by the killer leaving the property. So having left blood on the living room or the bedroom door into the living room kitchen, the living room kitchen through to the hallway, there's then blood on the bathroom light switch, then again on the inside of the actual front door of the property. Is that right? And on the outer jam of the door, so that would be outside the property. It sounds like it, yes. So if, if the assailant has left the bedroom, handling the door, handling the next edge of the door, touching the bathroom light switch, opening the front door and closing the front door, Potentially, that's the sequence that we're seeing here in relation to the blood that's found. It certainly appears so. And so far as the blood staining on at least one item, namely the door jam, when analysed in 1978, it was found to be blood group O. That's right. That blood group was the same as Brenda Page's. They then go over the traces of blood, which were found in the early 2000s from samples re-examined from Kit Harrison's car. And insofar as your report is concerned, does it say, we therefore cannot say from whom the possible traces of blood, so do we take it from that that it's not even guaranteed to be blood? That's right. We cannot say from whom the possible traces of blood found amongst the grit debris from the driver's area of Christopher Harrison's vehicle could have come, and consequently, in our view, this does not help address if Christopher Harrison might have been in contact with the deceased whilst she was bleeding. Yes. It, was it your understanding that the police in 1978 did not recover any weapon? Certainly nothing that was subsequently identified as a weapon. I believe there may have been some objects taken as potential weapons, but nothing to identify or confirm that they were indeed a weapon. So far as the injuries sustained by uh, Dr Page is concerned, they, I, I think on one view they were caused by some kind of weapon, and it was 
discussed with you the possibility of a weapon having been used in the cast-off blood staining and so on. Yes. In the situation where a, a weapon of that kind is used and is repeatedly used to strike into wet blood, is it pretty much inevitable that that weapon will have blood on it? Yes, I think that's fair to say. And you spoke the other day about a particularly, potentially peculiar piece of evidence from the uh, sheet, I think it was, about something on it which I think had a linear component. Is that right? On the underside of the sheet, yes. yes. That's right. Uh, and I suppose on one view that might be consistent with something that could have been used as a weapon. Possibly. If one then takes the bloody weapon uh, into a, a motor vehicle or onto a bus or wherever you might take it, is there the prospect of leaving blood from that weapon in wh whichever form of transport you use? Providing the blood is still wet on that object, and yes. He finishes by going over the window samples again and reiterating that there was nothing found to link Kit Harrison to it. His entire cross-examination from just that morning took 45 minutes. I have edited it significantly for time purposes, but the impact, much like the cross-examination of Andrew Gibb, was to laboriously go over every bit of evidence which did not have a link to his client. What wasn't acknowledged was Dr Harrison would have had an acute awareness of the forensic possibilities that were to come, and possibly a greater forensic awareness than any of the police officers investigating the scene. Advocate Depute Alec Prentice didn't miss the opportunity to re-examine Mr Gannicliffe to drive home some points. Mr Gannicliffe, we've heard a lot about DNA and the process of detecting DNA over the last few days. Does everyone shed DNA in the same way? There is a view in a lot of the literature that some people have a greater propensity to shed their DNA when they handle or contact surfaces or objects. And some people seem to be, there's a phrase often used, shedders. Yeah. And there's a suggestion that some people may shed more, or it may simply be a result of the activity and whether they have sweaty hands or whether they just wash their hands. So there's a lot of variables. Can it be the case that a person enters a room and touches items in the room without gloves and things like that and leaves the room but leaves no detectable DNA? I think the, the key word is detectable there. That's quite possible, yes. If some form of barrier on the hands, gloves for example, are worn, would that prevent the transfer of skin cells and consequently DNA? It would certainly prevent the direct transfer, that the actual surface itself may bear some trace skin cells, for example, on the gloves, but it would certainly prevent primary direct transfer from the hand surface to the whatever surface they're handling. If blood were on a hand, for example, how might that be removed? One might wipe it on a towel or a cloth or one's, one's own clothes, for example, on the thighs, for example, is often a common thing to do with, with blood-stained hands. Or you simply might wash or rinse your hands under a tap. So simple washing in water would be capable of removing blood, would that be fair? Particularly while the blood is still wet, 
then obviously it would rinse away far more readily than if it had dried. We've seen this before. Have you seen this photograph before? I have, yes. That's the photograph of the window at the property at Allen Street, and it's in its open position. And we've heard about the marks on the wood, and I think you've, you've told us about that too. Dealing firstly with the prospect of DNA transfer, if an instrument of some kind, for example a screwdriver, were used to prise open this window, would that of itself cause any transfer of DNA? I think even if it happened to have traces of DNA actually on the tip of it, it'd be very unlikely that those would be transferred in any appreciable, detectable quantity. Yeah. If the window were opened using that mechanism and then a person entered the window, of course, <coughs> raising the prospect of putting a hand on part of the window to guide the, the body through the aperture, that would have a prospect of transferring DNA, is that so? It would, if, and particularly if they didn't wear gloves, for example. Yeah. Would it necessarily leave detectable DNA? Not necessarily. It would probably really depend on the extent to which they'd handled that surface or object. Clearly, the, the more handling, the more abrasive contact between the, the hand and the surface, the greater the likelihood of transfer of DNA. Equally, if an instrument had been used to strike the late Brenda Page, you've told us that a reasonable expectation would be that that instrument would have blood on it. Is that right? That's right. If that instrument were cleaned, would that leave the prospect of removing blood from the instrument? It would certainly depend how thoroughly it was cleaned and how thoroughly it was washed and whether it had nooks and crannies and crevices where blood might persist. But if it was washed soon after and rinsed quite thoroughly, then perhaps it might remove all the blood. If it were wrapped in something and then placed in a car would it necessarily transfer blood to the car? No. You conducted a <coughs> thorough review taking account of all the work that had been done over the years, is that correct? That's right. And in addition to having got regard to the work which had been done, you also, in some instances, carried out work of your own, is that correct? That's right. Having reviewed all the material provided in this case, of all the detectable and interpretable DNA, was there any DNA from anyone other than Brenda Page or Christopher Harrison? Not that I'm aware of. Thank you. And that was the conclusion of the scientific evidence. What hasn't been mentioned so far is the lack of evidence of the killer. Could that in itself be a clue? If the killer was not a scientist with acute awareness of DNA and fibre transfer, could they be this lucky to leave no trace? There are no bloody fingerprints, despite door handles and even the bathroom light switch being touched. Is that even possible? Did the killer touch items with blood-covered gloves and then remove them after leaving? Did the killer even enter through the window, or was the break-in staged? This was something detectives at the time pondered. If Kit Harrison had, as Brenda suspected, and possibly witnessed by a neighbour, entered her property more than once, had he perfected his entry, 
or find her hiding place for the key. And remember, Dr Douglas and his wife seeing Kit at the property within days, a place he was legally not supposed to visit. It was hot and he was wearing black leather gloves. Why? Brenda may not have even been there. She'd been visiting her family shortly before her death. These questions may not have been said in court, but would the jury be considering the possibilities? In the next episode of The Storyteller, Naked Villainy, a joint minute reveals Brenda had been intimate with men she befriended through the escort agency. On one of those occasions, Brenda Page and Stephen Smith engaged in sexual intercourse at her home address. The moment Kit Harrison was read his rights after being re-arrested. You have been arrested on suspicion of, and it was in relation to various domestic assaults on your ex-wife Brenda Page, murder and attempts to defeat the ends of justice and claims he hadn't had sex with Brenda since their separation. Sex at 13 Allen Street? No, I didn't. Sure? Absolutely certain. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review as it makes a huge difference to guiding people to hearing this important story. This is an entirely independent production and your support is greatly appreciated. And if you want to hear exclusive interviews, longer episodes and insights, please head to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. This is a piece of history and you are for the first time in this format witnessing justice being done. <laughs>